What's up, everybody? Jay Miller here. Um, before we jump into this interview, I know, I know I said this year was going to be all about me and my thoughts and those things, and I'm already, you know, going back on my word, and we're not even in February yet. Talk about failed resolutions, right? Not exactly. This interview is actually the key thought for the video that I release for the pit show on my YouTube channel, which by the way, if you're not on that yet, go check out the YouTube channel. I'll provide a link to it in the show notes. You can also just go to YouTube and type in productivity and tech. You might want to wrap that in quotes. That's a, that's a pretty common phrase there. Anyway, uh, this conversation with my good friend, Brian Douglas, we talk about what it's, what it means to be an advocate and how we, approach advocacy. And this was actually recorded right as I was starting my role as a developer advocate. Brian's been in the industry for several years now. He's a developer advocate at GitHub. This conversation goes into a lot of detail about how he found success as an advocate. And I really hope that you can look at some of the techniques that he did and how he thought outside the box and apply that to your own career path, whether it's in developer advocacy or something completely different. So without further ado, here it is, my conversation with Brian Douglas. What's up, everybody? Jay Miller here. This is the Productivity in Tech podcast, the show where I sit down with someone in tech. We sit down, we talk about normally topics that that I have to come up with that are related to my guest, but I have been lucky enough to have known this person for several years now, and they actually came to me with a topic, which... Other people out there, don't don't get it twisted. You're not able to do this. You don't have the ability to do this. Only he does. Uh, but my guest is a developer advocate for GitHub, the one, the only, Brian Douglas, a.k.a. B-Dougie-O, a.k.a. Open Sauce himself. Brian, what's going on, man? Hey. Well, it's, uh, <laughs> it's honestly a pleasure to be here. I've been a longtime listener, uh, off and on for the past couple of years you've been doing this, and... Uh, yeah, I feel like I heard I heard this podcast back in its earlier infancy <laughs> when and, it was uh, talking about productivity stuff. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is uh, yeah, which is what I I want to talk about because you've you've you keep giving me nuggets uh, of things that I should be considering, um, and I want to I want to produce or sorry I want to improve my productivity, uh, but also I wanted to share how I sort of manage my productivity around uh, you know giving conference talks and doing the DevRel thing. Well, I mean, it it's kind of relevant because, you know, as I'm sure people, by the time this comes out, people would have been tired of me being like, yeah, I got a job, <laughs> you know, I'm part of the community now, all that good stuff. But no, it's, it's one of those things that like the whole reason we stopped talking strictly productivity was that I felt like I was answering the same questions over and over again but in different ways. Like I was trying to like, like listen to this one person talk about how they're productive and then take these key points from it. And it's like, all right, if you haven't figured it out in like two years, like 
I'm just going to have the conversations. I'm going to leave it up to you to figure out the productivity part of it. But at the end of the day, everybody that we talk to is productive in some way. And my goal is to just showcase whatever it is that they're productive in doing. So, I mean, you know, I've known you since the Netlify days. And yeah, well, even before that. So I I just want to say that my introduction to you was through Code Newbie. And Saran actually introduced me to you back early. I I just moved to California, uh, to Oakland to take a job in San Francisco. And Saran's like, hey, this guy's doing these Saturday sessions. Like, do you want to do a Saturday session on? Honestly, I have no idea what we did it on. It might have been like Ruby testing maybe or something (laughs) random. Uh, But yeah, I did a session. We did like a little webinar where I I did a, a, a chat and you asked me some questions and Kind of like this. It was kind of like a podcast, but um, yeah, it was pretty cool. And it was like all through the Code Newbie Slack back in the day. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to remember what it was on now, but that's that's insane that I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, shout out to Saran and Code Newbie. That was I'm trying to. We had Kaya Kaya Thomas on there. I think she works for like Apple now. And then like we had a few other wow. people. It wasn't the the Saturday sessions weren't weren't long lived, but I definitely think that. I learned a lot, and then I also met a lot of people in that process. So, no, that's real cool. That's real cool. And then, like, just following your journey from that to Netlify to GitHub. And, like, I think even – I didn't even know you were at GitHub until, like, I think one day I just, like, saw it. I was like, wait, what? Like, oh, he's not at Netlify no more? Okay, well, all right, well, cool, I guess. But, no, and then, like, the whole developer advocate thing was – like, how did that all happen? Yeah, so so I, I as I mentioned, I, I moved out to here at the Bay Area to from Orlando to be uh, a developer. And my entire time, like the reason why Code Newbies, like I chatted with them pretty early on is because I was writing a blog about my learning experience two to three times a week. Uh, and like, I, I wish I had that sort of like that, that cadence today because <laughs> I, I can't get back on that horse. Uh, but I had like basically a system where I would just constantly always put myself out there. Um, so if I, eventually I got to the point where I was just doing that as a full-time engineer, whatever I would learn during the week, I'd write a blog post about. And then I had this goal of eventually giving a conference talk and uh, ended up doing that uh, at the job before Netlify. And then from that, it started spurring into these opportunities uh, and Netlify being one of them. I ended up just going into um, going to the role uh, being an engineer, but they also asked me to do that write write a blog posting. And at that time, I started my podcast, and I was hosting that podcast on Netlify, the actual website. So they reached out and like, "Hey, do you want to work at Netlify?" So I did that and did the full time engineering thing for a year. Spoke on conference at conferences and meetups and stuff like that in the Bay Area. And the, I think the beauty of San Francisco and being here, well, what it used to be before we went the COVID <laughs> world. Uh, is that there was, it was a meetup every day. Um, so if you wanted to talk about something, just take a week to learn it and then go do a talk. And like what a lot of people don't know is that most of these meetup organiz- organizers are constantly looking for people to give talks. Yeah. But there's not enough people who want to give talks. And once I figure that out, I'm like, oh, there's a new meetup. I haven't spoke there. I'm going to craft a talk just for this meetup. I'm going to get up there. And then the, by, the, <laughs> by like a year into this, like everybody in like the Bay Area <laughs> knew who I was. Um, they knew that I had like the, um, like the Beyonce talks, the, actually at the time I was doing a lot of Kanye talks, to be honest. Uh, you know, 
he he's been born again saved and he's a completely different Kanye now. It's a new Kanye. But uh back in the old Kanye days, I was giving talks about Kanye, but using developer uh basically developer slang to sort of push push the product. And uh so essentially what I'm getting at is that I was doing all this and Netlify is like, why don't you do it full time? And I said no. And literally probably about like six months later they hired a second front-end dev um and they asked me again i was like okay i'll do it uh what's to see because i was at that point i just i knew how to scale it i knew how to do it on my own and sort of figure it out and to be quite honestly like the developer advocate space like i wasn't even aware of like there were more developer advocates there like i was just doing my own thing the entire time and figuring it out and uh by the time i figured it out github hired me so now i'm at github See, that's the weird part. Like, developer advocacy seems like one of those things. I mean, I guess beforehand it was like developer evangelism or whatever, and then they they kind of decided to kind of break away from that name. But in a way, it felt like it rose with the the understanding of like the influencer culture to where. Yeah. And and I thought that was weird because it seemed like the people that were hiring for developer advocates didn't realize necessarily what they needed. And I actually just had a really good conversation with um, another developer advocate, Haley Denbraver. And she was talking about how for her, working on a team of advocates is best because you can then be like, if you're the, the less technical but more charismatic advocate. And then you have like the other, like less charismatic, but can, can kind of set up environments. You can combine those and, you know, present at certain conferences where charisma kind of plays more or similar to what you do where you're on Twitch, you know, twice a week sharing, you know, little projects with people where there's not like this, not to not to say like you don't know what you're doing, but like there's not this understanding of like, okay, we're gonna sit down with Brian and he's gonna tell us step by step how to do this GitHub thing. He's like, no, we're gonna learn this together and we're gonna have fun doing it. And yeah. I, I think that that's where like do you see more advocacy going that way, especially like with Microsoft and like their whole cloud advocate team nine kind of thing that they've got going on as well? Yeah, so the, the funny thing about this is like I'm so outside the bubble. Um, so like Microsoft is a company that I've always I looked at when I worked at Netlify, and they were hiring like everybody who was anybody to work at Microsoft a couple years ago. They've since moved on, and like even like Sarah Drasner is now leading developer advocacy and developing. Actually, no, she's VP. At, um, she's VP of uh, developer experience or engineering at Netlify at this point. Uh, but she was hired basically to lead the team in the developer relations side. Uh, but it morphed into a full-time engineering VP. Uh, but anyway, she was one of those folks that got hired onto the Microsoft team, and now they just so exploded. Their careers now blossom into something else. Um, I honestly, up until two weeks ago, have never worked with more than one developer advocate on my team, uh, including yeah. at GitHub, because there's only three of us now uh, who work on the team. We do have a couple other advocates for specific products, but even prior to that, only one other developer advocate and we never cross we never cross streams i guess for lack of better analogy um i've always been the sort of cowboy advocate doing my own thing hanging out and figuring it out on my own uh and i don't know why that is like at netlify i know why because no one else is doing it 
I was the only one writing blog posts. I was the only one speaking on, like I wasn't the only one speaking on stage, but I was the only one doing it on a cadence on a regular yeah. basis. Um, so like, I, I would love to have a team of people who I can lean on to and be like, Hey, can you set up this, you know, this weird go stuff and like make this work and then I'll go, I'll go make it pretty and share about it or vice versa. Do you want to go take my stuff? Uh, and it's very much, um, like in the vein, cause I think GitHub, um, GitHub values advocacy like today, but when I joined, it wasn't, it was a hard sell. Like I was actually the first full-time developer advocate with the title at GitHub and oh, that wow. was 10 years in 10 years of the company. And it's because there's a, a mantra with a lot of startups where everybody's an advocate. So why would you hire just one person? And that's what Netlify did. Everybody was an advocate at Netlify. Mm -hmm. So why, why hire one person? Well, very quickly, like six months in, they noticed that I was the one doing all the advocacy. <laughs> like I was the one figuring it out and like creating up strategy and like, hey, I'm gonna go. Like I had this one thing, uh, and mind you, like my background's not CS, my background's actually sales. Um, for I did that for roughly two and a half to four years, depending on how you count it. If, if you count being a sales admin, actually sales or not. Um, and then prior to that, I got a finance degree. But one of the things I learned in sales is when you, when you go to make a, a sales plan, like you have this plan to call the three, six, nine, like three months, six months, nine months, like what impact will you make within each of those quarters? And one of the things I, I did when I was in sales is I applied for a job, which sounds silly, but I applied for a job and I didn't get it. Uh, it was for a senior sales role. And I asked a guy, he's like, hey, congratulations on getting the job because he was actually my coworker. We all applied for the same job. And he's like, I was like, hey, what'd you do to uh, like to get the job? He's like, I just had a plan. Is like I found out from the manager, the hiring manager, like no one had a plan. They just walked in there and said, like, this is what I've done. This is how great I am. But they didn't say what you're gonna do for the company yeah. and what you're gonna do if you get this role. And I, I honestly didn't even think of it that way. So when I, every time I go to apply for a job, and same thing with Netlify, I, I applied. I didn't apply actually. They reached out to me. So that's a whole other story. But um, they, they we just had coffee. And they asked me, what do you think about the business? And I was like, oh, it's great. Like, I'm a happy customer. It's like, do you want to work for us? He's like, okay. And he's like, so what do you think you would, like, what do you think about like strategy? And I was like, well, this is what I would do. And I literally told him like, you should get Netlify ingrained in bootcamp. Cause bootcamps were still growing, but like you should go out to bootcamps cause bootcamps, they, they need help. They want attention. Like get your Netlify in the curriculum. And the other thing I did was we should just be at every meetup and every NFL city in the US. And I'll just create a plan of like, hey, we should like hit New York, Chicago, Seattle, because uh, we're already on San Francisco. And then make sure you got on San Diego, which I did once, and then hit the, all the minor, minor teams. Um, so then like circle the US and make sure adoption was real. And I ended up getting halfway through that plan, like covering most of the cities. And that was my strategy. It was just like any team, or sorry, any city that has an NFL team, I'll just make sure I'm there and that they have a Netlify talk at a meetup. And then that meetup will be ingrained with Netlify stickers in my contact information. And then I, will, I won't have to ever go back there. I'll just embed them with more Netlify content. And that was like literally, like honestly, this is the first time I've actually even shared this publicly outside of Netlify walls. walls. But like that was my strategy. And I was the only developer advocate. And now they're on a team of like, you know, a ton of people that you've heard of. And they're not even doing the same thing because obviously you can't travel. But the thing is, you've heard of Netlify. And that's, uh, you can see how successful that was. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask that. I was, I was thinking like, 
I always see two marketing strategies. I see the, hey, come hear about us. Like, I'm going to, have you, have you heard the good news? There's this, there's a startup that's got like all these bells and whistles and the stuff that you want. And then you have like the, I'm Coca-Cola, you know, you know, our bears, you know, Santa Claus, you see, uh, you see our buses, you see our billboards. Like we don't have to tell people who we are. They know about us. And it seems like now you've transitioned kind of from, Hey, we're that, we're that brand new idea that we want to make sure that we're on the lips of every single, you know, code coding bootcamp out there. This is how you get started. Honestly, that's how I learned about it. I was like, Oh wait, Netlify, what's this thing? And then you told you like, let me know about Netlify. And I was like, Oh dang, this is kind of legit. I want to start using this for everything. And you know, from there I started using it for everything. Yeah. But when you, when you're on a team like GitHub, it's not as easy to just be like, Hey, have you heard of this thing called GitHub? It's like, no, everybody's heard of every developer out there in some way knows somewhat of of GitHub. Like it's almost like that Coca-Cola aspect, especially coming from like Microsoft, which is like, everybody knows microsoft people outside of developer spaces know microsoft so yeah how how do you feel like that strategy changed when it was no longer i need to tell people about us to more like i need to show people kind of the cool stuff that we can do to make you more committed to to being a part of the product yeah and it's like honestly it's not too much different like the the only difference is i was not traveling specifically intentionally the the actual cities um and mind you like we weren't doing like more of like i have a webinar come join my webinar it was more of like i'm gonna show up in your space in your house and i'm gonna be i'm gonna be be the vacuum cleaner salesman like i'm gonna ask you questions about your developer workflow and see like oh yeah you like that well what if it only took you 60 seconds to deploy that uh how would that feel like that's what i was doing at netlify now at github it's quite different because we're a household brand like 50 million developers worldwide is nothing to like, you know, sniff at. Um, it's like, it's a great number and it's a very confident number. But when you're, when you have that sort of, uh, I guess, confidence, it's your ball to lose. Basically. I don't think we're going to lose a ball anytime soon. But, um, with that being said, my, my goal with GitHub was really less about trying to convince people of things, uh, of like to use things, but just convince people to trust me personally as B Dougie at GitHub. So like if I go in there, like will you trust me to show you this cool thing that GitHub is gonna announce in three weeks? Like, do you wanna take a look at this? And it was, a, it's a bit different. And again, this is like the weirdness of I now have to like, I've always operated outside the DevRel, like the developer avocado. Like honestly, that that's a term I didn't even know was a thing. That's how far removed I am from the actual quote unquote inside joke of developer avocados like i like i like the one that we came up with on your stream uh, it's like advocate you know yeah. it's fine <laughs> developer advocates that's what we are yes yes advocates the uh the egg the egg wash liquor uh in denmark <laughs> um i don't even try how to pronounce that to be quite honestly but i only know that because in get at github we were we were throwing around names and that was a name that we came up with for like a one of our brands and it was like oh yeah We've seen that before. Here's the entire <laughs> GitHub issue and why that's a bad idea. <laughs> and that's the cool thing about GitHub is that there's like every everything in context is an issue or a pull request. So like when I joined GitHub, the first thing I did uh, while everybody was learning, and I mentioned this on stream too, while everybody was learning how to like use GitHub, like our salespeople, marketing people, I already knew how to use GitHub. 
So the first thing I did was clone the GitHub repo and go through all the issues and code and see what it actually looked like. Uh, and it's pretty fascinating. Like it's pretty, it's pretty readable code. Uh, it's like the cleanest JavaScript you'd ever see. Uh, obviously, it's a Ruby on Rails app too as well, but there's also these microservices that sort of like attach to it like a Borg. So yeah, I learned a lot just from that day, just like looking at old issues and code base. But um, uh, to, but to answer your question around like, yes, we have the brand. Like I can just go in like into a room and drop $100 worth of stick stickers and like watch the room go cuckoo. Um, it, it's a different feeling, but also it's like an opportunity for like hubris to take over. And like, I personally try to, because I come from a, a background of like, yes, yeah, so I was a developer advocate sort of before I joined GitHub. I didn't walk in there with like years and years of experience, but I did walk in with years and years of experience of GitHub. So like yeah. I truly try to advocate for the GitHub user and try to hear what they're asking. Like there, there are a lot of features that are missing within GitHub. There's a lot of like things that are unclear in the documentation. Like I, I have the privilege of being able to go directly to the source and saying, hey, I talked to Jay about this and this would actually be a perfect feature. I know this is not in the roadmap, but let's cut the line and see if we can fix it this way. And it's a lot of fun to be able to actually influence the product um, through our product managers and through our engineers and have those conversations and uh, my approach. So like when I first got to GitHub, like I was very confused on what I should be talking about. And what was very clear of what I should not be talking about is how to use Git, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is like the assumption that most people are like, Oh yeah, you just go around and tell people how to like, you know, rebase and stuff like that. Right. And I was like, nah. like we have an entire training team that already does that. And we have tons of content that already exists. What we didn't have content on was the API. Like, so my very first, like, thing I worked on was actually how to sell or how to convince developers to use, use the API to build things. And I had a lot of meetings and figured it out. And like, we ended up shipping a workshop and that workshop ended up becoming content and videos. And like it ended up growing into something later. Um, but it actually positioned me very well to what we have is now GitHub Actions, which is essentially that a very easy hook into using the GitHub API. And see, that's what I was thinking earlier. I was trying to figure out how to word it like, beforehand you were you were literally like the old kanye like people didn't know kanye people didn't know about kanye and then all of a sudden it was like blowing up and there was this this level around it but now you it's like all the all the beyonce people listening don't don't burn my house down please but you are in more of that position to where it's like if you if if I legitimately have to introduce who I am and who I work for, then there's an obvious problem. Like you should you should at least know who I work for, and you probably know who I am in the industry as well because of the longevity, because of the stuff that I've been doing. So now it's more like, let me tell you what you should really be excited about that I'm bringing to the table, not necessarily just hey, have you met me? And thinking about that. You know, you were talking about wanting to look at how you set up your talks. Does that come into play when you're thinking of like, how do I even how do I even begin this process of like preparing a talk or preparing a presentation of sorts of like, I no longer have to give us the spiel of like, well, GitHub is responsible for 150 million developers sharing, you know, 500 billion lines of like, you don't have to worry about that part anymore. You're just like. Hey, I'm Brian. I work for GitHub. Next slide. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a distinction like between if the developer advocate works on the marketing team versus works in a, some other team besides marketing. Like you don't have to spend six slides on trying to tell you like why there's a why there's GitHub or why why there's an Octocad or whatever the deal is. Like I think people spend way too much. So I've been to a lot of conference talks. Uh, thanks for the roles I've had. Uh, so I get to see a lot of bad conference talks, and I've actually given some bad conference talks. And there's some some things that I actually I take, and I actually have a framework for how I structure my my content. Uh, but the first thing I do is basically I don't intro myself within the first 10 slides. Like the goal is not to tell people who you are and tell them how many dogs you have and like what sort of pizza you, you eat on the weekends or whatever. Like I think I, I've been to enough talks where I've seen people's kids within the first two slides and your kids were not on the title. I get like you want to you humanize yourself and like give you like have that interaction. Um, but I bear, actually I don't think I've given a, I've only given one conference talk where my my son was included, but at the the talk was actually inclusive of my entire experience of how I got to programming, and he's included in that story. Um, which check out the Code Newbies podcast number two if you want to hear what that story is on the uh, Internet just, Archive. Uh, yes, <laughs> just punt that punt that over there. Um, <laughs> but like my, my my goal is basically can I can I get you to close your laptop within my first two slides? So you saw my title slide. You're now on my second slide. Did you close your laptop? Well, hopefully, if, in times of COVID, it's remote, so don't close your laptop. Keep it open. <laughs> but can I get you to full screen this tab and just watch me and not micro, like not multitask while doing this? And that's my goal for every talk. So, like in most talks, if you go to any of my talks, at least the last like fifty of them, maybe the first ten, like I probably would not, I didn't do this, but the last fifty, my goal is basically I'm going to start with something unrelated, not my dog not my my kids not my you know what i a spaghetti i made last week or but i'm gonna basically so I, I guess one example is uh i talked about graphql and i talk about graphql in a way that no one else is talking about it and how you approach it uh the same way you would approach rest so building a rest apis mm. and the way i i the analogy i sort of lean into is uh wrapping so like you take your graphql api and you wrap it you wrap your REST API with the GraphQL like gateway. Um, but the first slide of my talk is about hip hop and the history of hip hop. And how hip hop, what you what you got from hip hop back in the late 70s and early 80s is you took disco beats and made them into hip hop. And mm. you basically just took that hip hop genre and wrapped it around disco. Uh, and then you proceeded along the road. So then when hip hop went from basically hip hop to gangster rap, you basically took hip hop, but you were rapping gangster rap around it. And then like you proceeded. So like there's this idea of sampling. So you, you sample the beats, you sample the disco tracks, you sample like the stuff our parents listen to and make it cool. Well, with GraphQL, you're sampling REST APIs. It's like you already have oh. the idea of what the data looks like, but you're just asking for just the data you want, which is like a sample. <laughs> so like that was the entire talk I went through, but like the first, uh, it actually counted at 24 slides I got all the way up to the history of hip hop, all the way up to Tupac. And wow. at the point where I talk about Tupac, I was like, you know, gang, I, actually I start about with the disco and I talk Grandmaster Flash and I start rapping the message, which is my brother's doing fast on my mother's TV says he's watching too much. It's just not healthy. So that song, which is don't push me cause yeah. I'm close to the edge. So that song is sampled and ain't nothing's but a gangster's party. So the underlying beat is that song. So like he literally rapped, like he rapped that song into that song and 
1995, Tupac was shot and, and killed. Um, actually, I'm off one year, 1996. Shot killed, Biggie Smalls killed uh, with, within uh, a month or two later. Yeah. Um, and it ended gangster rap. And everybody thought rap was dead at that point. In the same way everybody thought rest was dead. And that same, the next year in 1996, um, actually that same year, 1996, that's where the actual spec for rest was actually pitched uh, at the University of Minnesota. So that's the correlation. And that slide 25 is the first time I start talking about rest and GraphQL. And that's like the talk. Like I go through 24 slides talking about hip hop. So that way I can basically just say gangster rap died, but this is the same year we got rest. Jeez, you just blew my mind, and now I literally yeah. have to go back and like redo my entire slides for this presentation I'm giving in like two weeks. So that's that that's interesting though that you are, you know, in, in other conversations you were talking about how you can humanize yourself, and like people often do it by you know, hey, here's a picture of Lu- of Lucky, my golden retriever, and you know all of that stuff. But you were able to make yourself human by incorporating something that you have clear knowledge of, which is hip hop, but then also being able to tie that in. And then it's it's funny because we always see those like feel good movies where you got like that one kid that's just terrible at math and you're like, oh, but, you know, he's a bully. And then he like does he does quick algebra and he's like, nah, dog, you owe me thirty seven dollars and twelve cents. And it's just like, yes, like, OK, yeah, it's got a rain man. it Exactly. It's like, wait, if you can do that, that means you can do algebra. If you can do algebra, that means you can do calculus. And then you just keep going on. And it's like. To me, I feel like that is a much more effective way to humanize yourself, but to also, like you said, kind of get people's attention. Because I can tell you now, like, I often get worried when I'm giving a talk and I haven't started talking about something or I haven't, like, shown code in, like, like, okay, we're five minutes in and you see zero, like, code in there. And I'm often apologizing for it where it's like... (laughs) I think in yeah, some ways apologize. it should be the other way around. It should be like the code ultimately isn't important. It's the understanding that makes the code work that's more important. Yeah, and I would say that the uh, you have to know your audience too as well. Like I definitely I might not be able to do this at a Rust conference, uh, but maybe I will uh, because I could probably if I, I'm actually learning Rust right now again uh, for something else and. Uh, yeah, so like the 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 audience might be different, but also I think uh, I've been doing a lot of pushing back on open source and pushing back open source culture and community. Uh-huh. Where I think if someone is upset because you actually spent time in teaching them something that correlates with what you're about to talk about, then maybe there's that there's maybe there's not room for either one of you in the the community. And I'd hope it'd be the person who's upset that's not making room for other things. Uh, but I would also say the same thing happens. Uh, so I went to a talk at uh, the same conference I spoke about hip hop and Tupac. The same conference I I saw three different talks about the the Game of Thrones API built in GraphQL, and everybody had the same Game of Thrones jokes. Why, why were there three? I feel like that's just bad because I don't want to say it's bad it, conference planning, but it seems kind of. No, I mean, no one no one actually runs by their jokes be, for the conference. Hopefully, they they follow this the code of conduct, and it's not that bad, but. Because there was a popular API that uses Game of Thrones characters to leverage GraphQL, no one had like an actual concrete example. But also, these were like Facebook employees. These were like 
Airbnb employees, they couldn't talk about the code that they were working on mm. and they didn't have any examples to share. So then they reached for like the Pokemon API example, which is like a great API, but it's overused. Like, and if I see another talk about the Pokemon API or the Hogwarts API or the Game of Thrones API, like I'm just going to walk out and like I'm done. Because uh, yeah. I can't, like, the, the, the thing is, I've never seen Harry Potter. Now, it's just like a timing thing. I just happened to be old enough that the books weren't cool when I was growing up and the movies were a little too young for when I was at that age. And then I just wasn't in the sort of like the crew that watched Harry Potter. But I have seen Game of Thrones. But the thing is, if like you go up there and talk about Harry Potter, I'm like, I kind of know what you're talking about. But like, like bring me to your level. Like, tell me who these people are. Like, tell me like yeah. why is this relevant in the story? So like, that's why actually I will go through and I will give you the history of Beyonce. Like I'll give you the history of Tupac because I want you to be on my level. So like, if, as long as you don't, if you, if my code's bad or you don't learn anything, at least you'll learn about hip hop. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm pretty confident of most of the room that I was speaking to that day. They were, uh, they were aware of Tupac, but they weren't aware of like the correlation in the, the timing in the history of how they got there. And then once yeah. you get to that level, you're like, oh yeah, you just taught me something. Now the next stuff you're gonna talk about with the code, it's actually, it correlates, it makes sense. And um, so yeah, my, my whole goal is like, I I will teach you something if it's not the code, like have you ever seen this code already? Cause like not everybody's a beginner, not everybody's like, not everybody is like, well, basically the opposite. They're gonna be people who already know the stuff you're talking about. So <laughs> they're, they're gonna roll their eyes or open up their laptop and be like, ah, I'm done with this. Like I've, I've already seen the intro or I've already seen this API before I'm using it at work. There's nothing new here. I'm going to go check out. At least I can get you not to check out by giving you a piece of my personality throughout this entire talk. And my personality doesn't have to be, you know, movie music food related. Like it just be something that actually this showcases, you know, me as a human being and gets me a chance to, you know, have another, opportunity to talk and i would i would say like this is not going to work for everybody everybody starts talking about hip-hop and their talks i <laughs> know uh, i set it up a <laughs> but i am confident that th- i this won't pick up like i don't think everybody's going to start really deep diving in the in like culture talks well i mean there's a good example of that because so i put out a tweet like a week before we recorded this it was like hey look i need like five more people to wrap up the year for interviews for me. And I know like we're recording this in August and you know, there's still like three months to go or four months to go. But, and then I said like, yo, I'm looking for people that are LGBTQA or QIA plus people that are black Indian people of color. And by the way, we won't be having the diversity and inclusivity conversation unless you just really want to. Cause it's like, I, I feel like that's the thing. Every time I see, except for Juneteenth, which had its own, like it was, I mean, I figure if you're talking about like diversity problems at Juneteenth then there's a bigger problem, but like every time I see like a person of color take the stage, I can almost flip a coin and call it. And if I call it, they're going to show how, Facial recognition is absolutely skewed because the people in the room didn't supply any people of color into it. And then there's been studies of how people in Louisiana are like three times as likely to be misidentified. And granted, this is an, a very important topic. It's a, it's a huge civics issue. But at the same time, like you said, I, I feel like if I'm being beaten over the head with the same information over and over, like 
yes, I might do better, but I'm not, I'm going to check out for that talk. So like, I need you to present it in a way that's going to be interesting to me, but also if it's not necessarily an interesting topic to someone else, at least it's a new one, you know, something that they're not thinking about 24 seven because they've, they've heard it so many times. Yeah. So speaking of the June team, so I spoke at June team conf, um, this year, I was like honored to be selected as one of the uh, speakers there. Uh, first time ever. Also, first time America knew what Jim Teeth was too. I, as well. I, yeah, I was gonna say I I learned about that conference. Like I knew about Juneteenth. I, I can say that I'm not there, but I didn't know that there was a conference being planned for it until like the day before it was happening. No, I mean it only got planned two weeks prior. Um yeah. So it all got thrown together, but uh, it ended up going up very well. And the talk I gave there uh, was actually focused on open source contributions and how to get into open source. And the way I said that, just for the, because I knew the audience was ready for it. I actually start, I talked about the history of Juneteenth in one slide. Because uh, I figured, uh, despite actually not a lot of people actually did talk about it directly, but I gave one slide, but I talked about three years after Juneteenth, uh, we got our first historically black college. Um, well, at the time college, uh, now university, which was um, Hampton University in Virginia. Uh, and that sort of sparked all these other HBCUs. And again, this is my whole, like, let me talk about something else for 20 slides before, before I get into open source. I actually talk about the history of historically black colleges and how the, um, why am I blanking, uh, Tuskegee Institute, um, Booker T. Washington, he, yeah. uh, he started the Tuskegee Institute. And that was like an institute for people to do domestic work. Uh, so we have people who are ex-slaves now doing housework and working in hospitality, uh, which is like, you could say that's a good or a bad thing. Like that basically just, we, we've progressed the race uh, to basically not be a slave, but basically be a slave uh, to a house, uh, inside houses. But anyway, sorry, I don't mean to be like so political. Like I don't have a strong feelings either way. It sounds like I might. But um, what I'm getting at is like that structure of having colleges for black folks in America to actually have access to information was something that did not exist prior. Like it was something that sort of like we were able to build a foundation. So now like you look at Howard um, as like the prestigious university of black colleges in Spelman and Morehouse, like now you can actually get a legit degree, like do law, do computer science. And like, maybe it's not the equivalent because of resources and access, but like that exists for us now. Um, So if you're oppressed in places like Louisiana, like you do have an outlet to go to college. So what I'm getting at is like the access of information was not readily um, distributed through all communities in America. And they were actually segregated into only certain neighborhoods and stuff like that. And I go through that whole history and then talk about open source because there's so much correlation with open source where if I, I'm currently, I, I'm actually onboarding to contribute with Node, Node.js. And the reason I got into that, that project is because my coworker. Now, if I didn't work at GitHub, would I be contributing to Node? Probably not. But because of my access and privilege, I have conversations on a regular basis with people who are mm-hmm. contributing to some really like outstanding projects. And part of the reason why I, I left Netlify and moved to a bigger company like GitHub is because of access reason. Like, yes, Netlify is now, they're big and they matter now. But at the time I left, they were still up and coming. And I didn't have time to be up and coming along with the company and be another number. Like I had to make some impact in my career, my family's life, my paycheck. Um, so I made that choice to be in GitHub. And that choice has benefited me, but also it's also set me up with like a, a level of privilege where now I'm getting paid like crazy money on top of that with 
on top of that, I get Microsoft stock that's best every month. Like it's kind of insane. But like just saying that out loud, that's just pretty wild. But anyway, what I'm getting at is that the access to information open source, it's like the the lack of it is pretty egregious. When we talk about like we look at Richard Stallman, who was like, everything should be free, free software for everybody. That's great, but free software for who? <laughs> Yeah. For you and your your friends, like nothing against the man. Uh, actually, there's a lot against him because he, he seems to be a very challenging person to work with. But that's besides the fact. Like now we have like this whole movement of like whether it ethics and open source. And I think I'm I'm a big fan of it. I think we should think about like ethics and think about like even companies like GitHub, like who we who we co-locate and do business with, like should be up for question. But then when we start asking those questions, like what about the people who are not even supporting even our own community, like the underrepresented folks that we've all tried to open up the doors for, like, quote, unquote, let's see if we actually did do that. Um, like, how are you leveling them up? Like, are those the individuals who are getting promoted? And I know you said we didn't have to talk about this, but no, yeah, I that mean, was my June team talk. But that, that's the thing is, like, if, if it comes up, it comes up, but it, it doesn't have to be like this requirement. And, and like you said, like, if we're talking about GraphQL, we don't have to bring up the Game of Thrones API. Like we can, yes. we can talk about other things and, and let that conversation happen as it happens. And I think that's the thing. And and one of the things that you talked about, ex, not accessibility, but access and ability uh, to do things. You know, that's one of the things that I've learned just getting into this role that I, that, you know, at the time of recording, this hasn't even started yet. It's, it's so insane of just like people being like, Oh, you're a developer advocate now. Hey, do you want to do business with me? Like, and I'm just like, I mean, I've literally done nothing different than what I was doing yesterday, but because my title changed now, you want to have this conversation. You've been validated. And, uh, (laughs) because like, as soon as you, uh, quite honestly, I'll be frank too as well. Like as soon as you start that job within six months, you'll have way more opportunity of people reaching out and saying, oh, you work with that company? Like, what do you think about our company? Like, you want to come and have a chat or a coffee? Like, let's let's have a conversation. And like, it's funny because like, there are so many people during this time of COVID that I've been watching on Twitter who has either just graduated a bootcamp or got laid off and trying to find their second job who have been struggling trying to find that job. Mm-hmm. And there were so many people like myself who I just constantly get people in my my uh, my LinkedIn or my inbox saying like, hey, what are you doing? Do you want to be a, a full-time senior lead engineer for you know, PHP framework, whatever? And it's like, I don't even do PHP. It's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Just come talk to us. <laughs> like, because I'm validated because I've got GitHub on my resume. I'm validated yeah. because I, I keynoted a conference talk, uh, I keynoted a conference. So now people assume, and that's the other thing too as well. People assume if you if you speak at a conference, you must have been validated. Like you should probably work here because you, you know how to speak. Like you probably know how to code too. And, um, that's not always the case. Like I'm yeah. a very mediocre programmer. I mean, I give yourself some stuff. credit. Like, you know, some, you know, some stuff. <laughs> I, I know some stuff, but like, I mean, my accomplishments, yes, I do have projects. I do have a GitHub and I do have projects in those, in that GitHub, but like, I am not like, you know, moving earth and like changing pixels and, you know, making speeds and feeds like the dream of all salespeople in the world. Like I'm just here making side projects and shipping an open source project on the side as well. Uh, I guess I guess I've done some stuff. Like I guess maybe I'm underselling my my accomplishments. But what I'm getting at, just because I'm on stage, doesn't mean I'm qualified for that job. 
Yeah. You don't know nothing about me. You just know I know how to talk and I can I can talk to you about Tupac and, and sort of finagle you into talking about like like in GraphQL. Um but it's 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 quite interesting. And I think the um I think when you, you talk about influencers, like the the influencer market, ironically, that was my first job uh as an engineer was working for an influencer company. Uh the company that actually sells dog food to dog moms on Instagram. Like that's the company I worked for. <laughs> That was my first dev job. Uh, I had no idea about that, that entire industry at all until I worked there. Uh, it was quite fascinating. But, but I was going to say that the the developer relations influencer space is like it's pretty much the same thing. Like I am being pitched all the time. They're like, hey, can I come on your podcast? Uh, I've been saying no to people coming on my podcast trying to kickstart their startup. Like if you don't have a site that I can sign up for your product or you're in beta – like, don't even bother. Like, I'm done. I'm done getting you funding. Like, unless you're paying me to be like, which I'm not accepting checks, um, at least not publicly. Um, but yeah, if you're, if you're, it, yeah, basically, p- there are people who've been on my podcast and have uh, secured funding shortly after the podcast aired. And I'm like, why'd you come cool. on my show, man? <laughs> yeah, which I'm happy to announce Baybot is now going to be funded, Series C. Oh, <laughs> man. So I, need, I need to go on your show. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah, come, yeah. Uh, I'll do it for friends. I, yeah. I, I think there's a thing about that, though, because, I mean, and we've talked about this a little bit. Uh, and if we haven't talked about this, I've talked about it with plenty of other people. But I have this mentality of, like, don't worry about me. I'm going to get paid. Like, that's that's kind of my thing is, like, I'm not doing something because of the the business, like, benefit of it. Because I know how to hustle to where if I need to get paid, I'm going to get paid. At the same time, the projects that I've picked up, the projects that I've made my thing, like they have found ways to make money so that now I actually try to give as much away as possible because it's like I I don't want that burden of someone being like, well, I gave you, you know, $50 a month and I expect you to blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to do a thing because I want to do it. I'm going to give it to you for free. That way, at the end of the day, if I say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. You can't be like, well, I gave you money because at the end of the day, I could also be like, yeah, but I'm also transcribing this entire conference over here. And that covers like what I would make in the next like quarter. So I don't need you to give me money. If you want to give me money, that's another conversation. I think that was a conversation that we had too about like GitHub sponsors. That was like, how can I set this up in a way that if you want to give me money based on the work that I'm doing and to see that work continue, that's one thing. But don't give me money thinking that it's going to buy you some type of like perk or access to me that you normally wouldn't have. And also, yeah. why don't you just ask me for that access? Because I'll probably just give it to you. Like, I don't, you don't, I mean, you don't have to give me money. Again, if you want to give me money, yeah. that's one thing. Yeah, there's a, there's a weirdness. Um, well, actually, in the past couple of weeks, uh, people have been supposing Open Collective. Uh, it's not Open Collective's fault. Maybe it is. Um, but people have been sponsoring projects on Open, Open Collective uh, for the sake of getting their brand on the banner. Uh, so you're seeing a lot of like casinos and a lot of like very shady, like uh, decentralized platform Bitcoin things, uh, not Bitcoin, but whatever Ethereum tokens things um, show up as sponsors of uh, certain projects. 
Um, and uh, people are looking to not pay for access, but pay for awareness. Yeah. Um, but, but to, to your point too, as well, like, I think, I think we all should definitely do stuff and try to call, I guess, quantify, quantify. I think it's the, like put a cost on like the amount of effort on things, like whether or not you're looking to get paid for something, like something I've been thinking about a lot actually recently. Cause like I mentioned job opportunities coming into LinkedIn, like now I'm getting like this weird thing where people are just like, Hey, I loved your X, Y, Z. Like I'd love that. Like, you know, pick your brain and chat with you about like this. And I'm like, look at their title and like see something at some company that matters. And I'm like, uh, why are we doing this for free? Like, I mean, as much as I'd love to give you all this free information and tell you how to like re, you know, restabilize your, you know, marketing efforts and stuff like that. And your developer tool company. I don't think I could do this for free anymore. Like, I think now I'm at the point where I'm just like, it's either a no, or it's like, can you sign up and I'll give you an invoice first and then we'll, we'll, we'll chat. Well, I think that there's, that's a, that's a whole nother conversation. And I, I think there was, um, there's a art, there's a producer named Henny to business on YouTube and he makes all of his stuff on like iPhone, I, iPad, like iOS, that whole suite. And he's known for that. And he gives like anytime he does like a beat or a sample or something like that, he will give the instruments that he created away. And he's like, yeah, you know, you can download this pack for free. You can download this, you can download this, you can download this. And people were asking like, why don't you just sell that for like $5 or $2? He goes, Oh no. When a rapper comes up and wants to use my beat, I get paid. Like when a label wants to come and buy my beat, like I'm getting, don't worry about that. I'm getting paid. And it's like, that's, that to me is where I am is like, I'm going to build the things that I want to build because I want to build them. And if you feel like there's a benefit that suits you, if we want to have that discussion, we'll have that discussion and there will be a monetary exchange of some sort of, you know, you pay me for my work. But at the same time, you could just also observe the work being done. Because, I mean, that's my thing is like I can come in, watch you stream and learn a ton about like GraphQL, learn a ton about GitHub Actions. In fact, usually when I'm programming, I have like you in my ears talking about something, you know, and I'm like, I'll be like, wait, what's he talking about? And I'll switch over real quick and be like, oh yeah, no, I don't know nothing about that. And then just like go right back to what I'm doing. But at the same time, it's like the conversations that we've had in the past are like, Hey, I see that package that you're doing that you've, you know, you've built. I'm having some problems with it. Can you just like walk me through it real quick? I was like, yeah, no problem. But like, if you were like, Hey, you know, um, my YouTube channel has 3 million people on it. And you know, we want to use your service to, to transcribe each and every one of our, I was like, no, yeah, no, here's my rate. Like if you want, if you want me to do it, here's my rate. If you want to just learn how to do it yourself, sure. I'll be more than happy to teach you. But if you want to take advantage of that, like, I mean, I had someone that asked me to teach them to, to code and it was like, I mean, if you want to sit down and have a conversation, we can have a conversation. If you want me to be your tutor, I'm going to charge you like a tutor. If you want me to be an influencer for your company so that you can record all this stuff and put it on YouTube, I'm going to be your influencer and I'm going to charge you as such. Like those numbers yeah. change. Yeah. And I think that's the, the, the value of like this conversation around open source. And like when I was writing blog posts for for Netlify back in the day, like, yes, I was getting paid. Uh, but also I was, I was enjoying what I was doing. Like I was enjoying learning how to use react and then talking about it. 
and then getting getting acknowledged the fact that I actually knew what I was talking about and then getting on stage based on those blog posts. Like I had a system basically and like I guess we could have veered away from this sort of getting your talk accepted. Uh, but my, my entire system is basically conference driven development. And um, it's a term that not a lot of people use, but I, I've been using it pretty heavily. Uh, if you if you chat with me, I'm looking uh, I'm waiting I, for the, the conference talk on it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not sure if I've actually submitted it a few times and it hasn't been accepted. So the one conference talk that hasn't been accepted is this one. Um, but the focus is um, I have an idea. Actually, so once a year, actually, Ben Alequidu, uh, he's big in the React space and JavaScript space. Uh, I actually chatted with them because he, he keynoted ReactConf. And shortly after that, we actually we went to a conference together. Uh, we have to, we were speaking at the same conference and I was like, Hey, how do you get on so many stages? Like, how do you just get all these talks accepted? And he basically just unleashed his secret sauce to me. And I was like, what? And I literally learned it. And then ex- exactly the year after that, I learned that. So it was like probably like October. I talked to him by next January. I had for that year, 2017, I had like 40 plus talks in oh, workshops geez. to do. And I was like, wow, it works. So basically what he said is that he just, uh, during Christmas, the two weeks between like most people take off, he'll just get like a book or a notepad or whatever and write out ideas of things he wants to learn for the rest of the year. So like just write down your goals. Like, do you want to learn GraphQL? Do you want to implement this API or this language or whatever it is? Like write it down and how you would use it. And then take like two or three of those and then write a conference talk proposal out of it. And whatever, whichever conference talk gets accepted go write the code, go support it with blog posts, go and do it. And if they don't get accepted, go back to the drawing board. So I also have a structure that goes with this too as well. That, that I had the, I married this together because I already had the structure, which I, I mentioned on the stream. And actually I did an entire video on this on my YouTube channel. So uh, you can go to youtube.com slash I like robot. Like uh, a pro with that. With always, the be plug plug in. always be plugging. Uh, but yeah, uh, you'll find me. Uh, I like robot. It's the YouTube channel, but what I will say is I have this uh, pattern, which is SCQA. So you, you model that out, situation, complication, question, answer. And it's, it's actually the same pattern I use for my pull request. And that's where I learned it from. Because my engineering manager at the time was like, hey, if you want to get your stuff approved quicker and get people to look at it, actually write out like what happened in the pull request. Because if it's just a bunch of code, no one's going to look at it. But if you actually spend the time and actually write out your thought process using this model, like people will actually look at it. So the first thing I do is set up the situations like, hey, I need to implement, you know, GraphQL um, in this. Re- I opened the one in React Native. React Native looked like it worked well with Relay in GraphQL um, out of the box. So the complication is that there's not a lot of co- information out there about it at the time. So I had to learn all that. And the question is like, how can I implement GraphQL with the REST API and like, ship it and not have to spend too much time on it. And the answer was I ended up creating a GraphQL gateway. And that was like one of the first GraphQL talks I got accepted is the, this idea of the, the original wrapping idea. I built a wrapper around GraphQL. Uh, that was a lightning talk at GraphQL summit. Uh, and what the cool thing about it is I gave that talk in front of Lee Byron. He was in the front row. He was also emceeing the conference and uh, it was this nonstop one liner jokes the entire time. And at the very end, you knew who I was because I, I finally said my name. Um, so like, that's my whole thing. It's like, I don't, I try not to like pitch me, pitch my name until like after I've sort of got the punchline in. And uh, so basically that structure is what I applied to GraphQL, 
I applied to serverless. I applied to Jamstack architecture. I applied to all these React uh, static build uh, deployment solutions. And that was like my 2017, that was the year. The year of serverless, the year of the Jamstack. And that's basically where the podcast took off, my speaking circuit took off. Uh, I started keynoting. Uh, the GraphQL Summit was the same year I did GraphQL Summit as well. Uh, and it's, and then I also spoke at GitHub Universe as well. And after speaking at GitHub Universe, uh, someone approached me and was like, hey, you should work at GitHub. And that's literally why I work at GitHub is because I just sort of stacked the entire year up with all these talks. Now, this is not, like this would be hard for most places, but at the time I was in San Francisco and at the time San Francisco was the place all the conferences were happening. So that also is part of it. I just happened to be like, hey, I'm not going to come home. I'm going to come home later because I'm going to a conference. I'm also keynoting it. Um, you know, put the plate in the microwave for me, like that type of deal. So that was like the year where I basically, I'm just at a lot of conferences, at yeah. a ton of meetups, and also doing a bunch of workshops as well. And I literally gave a React workshop. My first ever workshop, I gave a React workshop. I had no idea what I did, uh, what I was doing, but I ended up finding... Actually, Kinsey Dodd, who's like, shout out to Kent, who's now full-time teaching. He actually open source all his curriculum and it encourages, encourages you to use them. So I literally gave an entire a paid workshop using curriculum I didn't write. <laughs> and it worked out beautifully because I knew exactly, he teaches in a way that's so easy to understand. And uh -huh. because I already knew React, I was able to teach it leveraging him. And I was basically just sort of proctoring a workshop, uh, which is like the best experience of anybody that life hack look at Ken's open source stuff and give one of his workshops. So I feel like that is the same in a way that's the same like tour that comedians take where they're like, I need, I need a venue that I can go to to workshop stuff, just different ideas, different thoughts, see what works, see what doesn't work, see what I'm interested in talking about, see what I'm not interested in talking about. And then from there, like you go to the next step, of like, all right, I'm going to go just talk and just give my, and just talk about the same thing all year long. And then like, we see it. And then like down the road later on, you just see like, okay, Netflix special. Wait a minute. That's the same stuff that he was talking about back in January. And now we're in August. It's the same thing, but it's, it's refined. It's like, yeah. Okay. Now, now he knows where to pause. Now he knows where like more information is needed. Less information is needed. And like, I, I feel like that is a thing that developers, I don't want to, I don't want to say like developers always act like the thing that they're doing is like brand new. Like I always yeah. feel like people have this weird idea of like, they're, they're like creating fire for the first time. And it's just like, no, you're, you're doing the thing that has worked for so many other industries for so long. It's like Uber, like okay you made you made taxis you you liberated the yeah. taxi industry way to go like you did nothing new here <laughs> like yeah it's you just yeah, did it in a there's different something way. to say about basically regurgitating another idea from somewhere else because yeah. like the so like my, my degree is in finance and the way i i select programming languages and frameworks and libraries is not and i, I should probably do a blog post on this but um actually we do have a blog post on this <laughs> ironically, I don't know if I should out them, but basically uh, it's not under my name. Basically I, I wrote this blog post for somebody else to publish uh, on the Netlify blog. 
Uh, but basically, how do you pick a language? Um, Hold on, my cat's and, freaking out here. Let me. Oh, no worries. <laughs> sorry about that oh no worries yeah so I was, what i was getting at is that there I, I the way i approach like choosing a library or a language or an, uh, a process is not too unlike like most people do i just don't think a lot of people think about how to approach it so like if you look at the react space there's all these react frameworks now coming out like Next.js. well actually they're already out they're here um blitz.js there's um uh, gatsby as well like, how do you choose between Gatsby, Next, Blitz? Uh, and the way I do it is actually, I don't, I don't even care about the code. Uh, I like, I like it being approachable. But I think if you just look at the community first, uh, it actually gives you the answer really quickly. So, if you look at the community for Gatsby or Next, look at their how many contributors they have, look at how many stars, and look how many blog, like not blog posts, but actually a training material that's out there. Looking at that first gives you a good sense of like where you should go next. Uh, and you don't have to necessarily like look at stars or contributors and make that sort of the be all. Um, but then you can start looking at adoption and seeing like how many, if it's brand new, this is not going to work. But if you look at adoption and you see like now companies are starting to adopt this and move towards this direction, it, it, it's a, it gives you a good tell on the longevity and whether or not this is going to be a, a good decision for you. I almost feel like that's trying to play the market, though, because if you look now, like I'm looking at like Next and Vercel and I'm like, huh, like they're making a play like they're actually making a pretty big play. But at the same time, I'm also looking at like what Netlify is doing with like the plugin system and all that works. And I'm like, okay, that's a buy in tool, because once you use their plugins, it's like if you stop using them, the plugins don't work. So so then yeah. it's like, okay, I get that. But then I look at Gatsby and Gatsby, like, I feel like an unpopular opinion. I feel like Gatsby's overhyped. I'll just go say it like as someone who who like, <laughs> I don't know, I've tried it. <laughs> I like Next better than Gatsby. That's just me. But I also like Vue better. Um, <clears throat> I like Vue better than React, too. But I recognize that more people are using React than they're using Vue. Both are popular. I think you can get away with either, ultimately, if you're trying to do something. But I like that you, I like that you bring up the idea of look at where you're going to have the easier time. But I think part of that is also kind of playing with it and just getting a gut feel for it. Cause I mean, that yeah. was me. Like I started out learning Ruby on rails and well, actually I started learning Ruby. Then I thought I was done and they were like, well now let's learn Ruby on rails. And I was like, nah, <laughs> <Not yet. coughs> well, excuse me. I was like, nah, Ruby on rails ain't it. I'm not about that life. And then yeah. it was like, someone was like, oh, you should check out Python. So I did. And it it just kind of clicked. And then when they were like, now let's learn Django. And I was like, nah, nah. See, that's what he got me last time. And it took me like a good like four years before I ever touched Django. And by that time, I knew enough Python that Django made sense. 
Whereas I was told like, oh, well, if you're doing Ruby, you just learn Ruby on Rails. Otherwise, what are you doing Ruby for? And like, I know that that's kind of a bad idea to have. But when the when all the blog posts are like Ruby on Rails, Ruby on Rails, Ruby on Rails, and nothing's talking about just straight up Ruby, like it's an easy conversation to have. Same thing with <coughs> with JavaScript. It's like when everything's talking about React or Gatsby or Tailwind or whatever, you're like, oh, well, that that's like the only thing that I can do. And that's why when you were talking about, I think you put out a tweet one day that you were like, oh, what should we, what should I talk about? And I was like, talk about GraphQL and Python because I haven't heard much about it, but there's like a bunch of REST API stuff. So if you're telling me that like GraphQL is just kind of an extension from REST, we should be able to get there. So I I, I want more people to talk about that. But then you also can't just say like, well, it's not worth exploring if no one's talking about it. Because I mean. So you could be the trailblazer. So there's this thing called a hype cycle too as well. So you look at like, um, so Apple stock is what? $427, something like that. They're like $2.1 trillion. That's all I know. Yeah. So I, and when I was getting my finance degree, Apple stock was $75. um, And the iPhone had not come out yet. And I was looking at it and I was like, man, and this is when I was trading stocks because that's what I thought I was going to do for a living before the market crashed. Um, But I was looking at that and then I had an iPod touch and I couldn't actually look at this thing and look at it as a phone. And I'm like, how? And the the rumor was they're going to ship a phone. It's like, how can you ship a phone when all they've done is made MacBooks and like an iPod iPod touch? And literally what they did is they took the iPod touch and made it a phone. And I was like, oh, that's genius. But no one saw that. So you kind of have to look at the hype cycle and look at like like trending curves. So like if I was looking at today as a brand new programmer, yeah, she'd probably want to learn some React and understand what that is because that'll probably if you're gonna do front end JavaScript, you're probably gonna have to touch that because that's just where everybody is. But back when I joined Netlify, my first job was to convert Angular to React. And because because like Netlify was seeing a trend and they were basically pitching themselves to be their the solution for React communities. Um, and at the time, like I joined in a month later, create react that came out. So then the actual solution for getting a static build up and running was just right out of the box. It was the, it was the actual solution shift from the react team. And it was like the perfect timing for Netlify because we had just shipped deploy previews and no one was doing deploy previews, not even Heroku at that time was doing Heroku pipelines. Um, so we basically, we just got in the right spot for the right time. So like when you look, when you talk like a view, like honestly, if you want to hedge your bets, um, I would definitely be learning view right now. And I would definitely be knowledgeable on the ecosystem because I don't think React is going to be upseated anytime soon, but I think there are going to be more people taking view seriously as companies, especially because view is going to be, uh, it's going to be pitched as a solution for other things. So then, um, so like things like animations, like their animations in React are not great. Um, they're going to have to add a bunch of libraries, and that library is going to bring a lot of slowness mm-hmm. or, or heft to your front-end JavaScript apps. Uh, I would say Svelte, too, as well. Animations in Svelte are like jQuery-esque. And when I say jQuery-esque, they're just dead simple. React is not dead simple. <laughs> they're, they're only re- the, the adoption of React comes with the, the fact that React was powered by a very large company that basically made it so... Like React itself is it's a library where it could be attached to anything. And that's how Facebook wants it. And because it could be attached to anything and molded to anything, 
then you could have like a Gatsby or a Next, where they're kind of entirely different frameworks to solve different problems that look like they're solving the same problem. But when you really peel back the curtain, Gatsby is basically WordPress. Gatsby's competitor is not Next. Gatsby's competitor is WordPress. Gatsby plugins are WordPress plugins. The founder of Gatsby, Kyle Matthews, he comes from Drupal. Uh, he actually oh. comes from that space. <laughs> that makes a lot so, more sense now. <laughs> so like he he is he is very well versed in that space, and that is the goal. Gatsby Cloud is basically WordPress.org. Like so like I'm very close to the space because I've been doing Jamstack Radio for the longest time. I've been working at I worked at LFI. Like when you look at it next, like Vercel, and I know it's like very close to like very close to this source as well. But like Vercel came out at the same time I joined Netlify. And Netlify made a very conscious effort to reinvest into their UI and give up the CLI because now their CLI was so good, it was a hard sell to be like, oh, we have a CLI, we'll make it easy for you. Now it was just like out of the box great. So what now did is they attracted all the JavaScript heads, like the NPM aficionados and Node.js, like fan people. And then Netlify just went into the space where it's like, we're just going to make it easy for anybody to point and click, get something up, point to a GitHub repo, ship it. And the difference between that was huge, where like Vercel circled the wagons around the JavaScript space and the very the most fickle, like the most fickle, like I won't pay for anything type of deal. Like <laughs> that's the space they circled around. And now you see Vercel now shifting into more of like a Netlify space. Where Netlify focusing on the UI experience, it they actually onboarded tons of designers, tons of marketers, like tons of creative people onto Netlify where it's just like dead simple to pick a template from like at this point, Sanity, uh, Stackbit, like all these tools that are now coming out, uh, it, which used to be a feature at Netlify. Netlify used to be able to log in, pick a template, deploy that template, and it was up there. It was such a buggy experience, we ended up deleting it and saying like, we'll, fix, we'll do this later. They never did it. Other companies built that solution already for them, which is perfect because mm-hmm. now you have like 10 other companies doing that one feature that Netlify was doing. Um, but now it's just like dead simple. So when I go to a boot camp, and I'm like, you should learn Netlify. You should put it in your boot camp. You should it, sh- it should be dead simple. For like, why would you focus? Like this is the question I was getting at the time. It's like, oh, I should learn. It. Like we should, we would do this, but we need to teach boot camp students AWS. Like they need to know no, that. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, of course. But they didn't know that. Like, don't trust boot camps, everybody. Like, I get it. They're, they they sell you a lot of stuff. But I, as someone who worked at a boot camp and came from boot camp. Don't trust what they say. Just trust whoever will teach you how to code. That, that needs to be a bigger conversation because that's not the first interview I've done in the last seven days where that's been mentioned. So yeah, I might, yeah, might have to do a deep dive. It, it's unfortunate because I think what boot camps have become, it's not what it was seven years ago. It is literally, it, it is paid. It's like basically the Vry University um, where now you're paying to get access, quicker access. Mm-hmm. Um so if they're going to sell you three months of a program these days, I would I would run away. Like you're going to need like nine to nine to twelve months of actual work and putting effort into it. But I digress. What I what I'm getting at is that Netlify was just so simple. Like why would you need to know AWS? Now you have Amplify, which you don't even touch the console anymore. You're just constantly in the either the UI or you're in the CLI. So like you don't need to know if it's a cloud front or a cloud formation or cloud deployment, whatever it is. Like I want to point it to a repo. I want to point it to my code base. I want to say uh-huh. this is how you install it or this is how you build it and then get it up and running. And because that's the, that's the way the world is moving to. Like I can now point and click. I can literally turn on my microwave from my phone 
like why do i need to know how to program a defroster on a microwave when i can just click the button yeah. like that's the way development is going deployment tools are like now they're a dime a dozen so like everybody's pulling up like kubernetes like whizzes because like that's the that's the power of everybody getting all these development tools running it's, it's literally kubernetes um but now anybody can sort of build cdns that are fault tolerant and that have cache invalidation and that could be like if i'm on a plane like i can go from the india cdn to japan and it just works like i don't have to worry about any of this so now the playing field has now just been leveled and whoever is now trying to figure out how to log into aws is like behind so last question before we jump into the after show because i know you really want to start talking about some conference stuff and uh we completely derailed which is fine i expected it great conversation but but last question with that because i feel like there were so many different winning strategies and then people started finding reasons to be upset like React, it's owned by it's it's a Facebook product. There was that whole time when people were worried about the licensing for it, and they were like, "Oh, we can't use React because we don't know what Facebook's going to do with it." And we're like, "Okay, whatever." I get that. I totally get it. I don't have a Facebook. Well, I do have a Facebook account. I don't have an active Facebook account. I should say I don't use Instagram or any of that stuff, so I'm there. Gatsby, uh, they were hot. Some people said some things, did some things, and now I'm wondering what's happening with them. And that that's how I learned about Vercel. Because I was like, well, I mean, or not Vercel, learned about Next. Because I was like, well, I mean, Gatsby might not be around in two years, or they might they might need some timeout time. And I, I wonder about that because I feel like there's in the world where everybody is chasing the trend until the trend get, gets canceled. Like, yeah. is there any value in saying I'm going to be the best insert this in between service person and not just be like, what's it doing? OK, I know how to do that. Like, I'll figure it out because, I mean, I feel like that's where that's where I've kind of made my little space is just like, oh, what, what you just need a website. I, I spin up a website. That's fine. Like, oh, wait, you want it in React? I mean, I guess like I'll learn it. But I could just do it this way faster, but if you really want it in this, here you go. I mean, I feel like that's been more, that's been like the safer bet because you never know when someone's going to have some type of incident that for good reason they get canceled for. And yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not trying to advocate for like making your developer decisions based on cancel culture, but in a way, I'm also saying like, you don't want to go pitch to your boss like we need to move everything over to something, and then all of a sudden that company gets shut down like two days later. Yeah, and I, I would say that's like the difference between like the the junior and the senior developer experience. Like the like the junior developer wants to chase the shiny thing. Uh, the senior developer will pick the shiny thing after some consideration. But I think if your consideration is focused on cancel culture, I think you might be doing it wrong. Um, I think the I think I think Gatsby's going through some some interesting times and like honestly again close to the situation like I'm not close to the situation but I I know the people involved and I'm just like not surprised. But with that being said, um, you know I, I wish them the best and that they'll figure it out. But I don't know I, I I feel challenged where if if my blog was on Gatsby which I at this at this point I have one site that's leveraging Gatsby uh, hosted on Netlify. I haven't touched it in a year. No, yeah. I haven't touched it in nine months, really. So, 
am I going to change that to next because Gatsby's having an issue? Probably not. Like, not a big deal to me. Um, but I would say, though, what I've been doing very late recently is, if you notice on my streams, I've doing tried a lot, of, a lot more JavaScript, a lot more HTML, a lot more just plain CSS. And it's intentional because I want to get to a point where I can just spin up stuff on my own mm-hmm. real quickly and not be bogged down because I made a, an engineering decision that was, oh, I chose Next.js. Now I'm stuck in the next world. I can't actually, I don't know how to do this the normal way because now I'm stuck. I have to use a Next plugin. So like I avoid that at all costs at this point in my career because mainly I spin up way too much stuff. I, I ship too many pro- like products, stuff for DevRel. Um, that I don't want to maintain it, but if it's in basic JavaScript, like it's not gonna, like the mm-hmm. dependencies aren't gonna go cuckoo uh, once a month when Dependabot decides that it wants to tell me something's broken. I mean, I, I also feel like I can spin up a site in React faster than I can in Gatsby at this point. Like, yeah. well, it, I've I've literally only been using Create React app for everything because that's what I learned, yeah. and I never changed. So like, well, I only use Gatsby for opportunist op, opportunist things. So if there's a template that fits most of my needs, I'll use that because I know I won't have to touch it ever. I'll get all the content on there and I just I'm in maintenance mode. Yeah. I, I get that. And and that's what I mean. Like I'm actually a good example of that too is with the with create react app. I was learning React for the first time like a month ago. Like really trying to learn it. And getting into that space I was just like uh, why is this not working? And I luckily had someone in the chat that was like, they knew what they were doing with React, and they were like, "Wait, why are you using components? Everyone uses states now." And I'm like, "Okay, well, the React documentation didn't put me on that game, so you go, you gonna teach me something now?" Like, but then at the same time, I'm sitting there with other people who've been using React for years, and they're like, "Oh yeah, no, I don't mess with states. I learned with components, so I'm just gonna do that." And it's just like, yeah. I mean, it's like that whole Python 2 versus Python 3 thing. It's like, I was... Exactly. That's exactly what it is. I was very yeah. lucky to come into like a Python 3 world. But the I think the difference is, was like, there was a clear cut line of like, okay, if you came in after this time, do not learn Python 2. At this point now, we're like, you just, just learn Python 3. We know your computer came with Python 2 unless you got Linux. Just learn Python 3. You will thank me later. Learn 3.8 specifically because otherwise you're going to try to do stuff that's not going to work. And it's just like, I I get it. But that's like someone also trying to tell me that I I should learn how to spin up a React site the old way instead of just using Create React app. And it's like, why? (laughs) Like, like why would I ever want to do that? I think it's, I think it's, it's good to like, if you want to ship something, use the fastest way possible. So if it's Gatsby next, Create React app, do it that way. If you have time to, you know, sit down, drink a coffee, and and learn how this thing actually works, then do that later. Like, do that in your the time when you're not <laughs> under pressure. I feel like I feel like you're better off just doing it the fast way and then going back and looking. Like, because I mean, a lot of stuff you can just turn on logging, and like, if you really want to know what all it did, like, go read the logs. Don't don't try to bang your head against the wall and like figure it out. Like, if I had to rebuild the Django instance instead of just using like Django create app, like I would not use Django. Like that was actually one of the turnoffs for Django was like, I don't know what this is doing. So I'm afraid of it. And now it's like, Oh no, I don't want to know what it's doing because that stuff is not important. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think it really comes down to, and I was like, I just had this conversation like an hour ago with my coworker <laughs> um, where like, they're actually learning how to code. They're coming from a non coding background, but they're actually doing lots of code. Uh, so they're like, should I learn this or that? And my response is like, well, what's your goal? Like, are you trying to be a senior engineer and like eventually like climb the ladder into engineering? Then like, yeah, you should probably learn, you know, I did the question was framework or JavaScript. And I was like, yeah, then you should learn JavaScript. If you, uh, the context was the JavaScript framework, uh, specifically like Nuxt. And, but they're, they're, I knew what their goal was. Their goal was like, I want to be able to throw up a website, manage to copy in a YAML file, whatever it is, and move on. And if that's your goal, just use a, use a template. Like don't even do the tutorial. Like grab a, grab a template and like you know how to massage the CSS and make it look the way you want it. Like do it that way because that's going to get you much further and then you can move on. And then if you ever want to go back and learn it the right way, like there's plenty of Codecademy courses and YouTube videos that you can just skim through and be like, oh, I never knew it was that way. And that's, that's how you learn. Like you just got to get your hands dirty because if you spend all your time deep in like the actual networking books and how the language is working and you never actually write any code, like then you're doing it wrong. So whatever's the fastest way to get you to actually get something that's tangible, I that's my recommendation. I don't know uh, if that's going to hurt you or help you, but that's my <laughs> recommendation. Uh, and I would honestly say like, even with the, the, the quote unquote cancel culture, I would say if you look into some of these projects, so Gatsby's backed by VC funded, uh, Russell actually, well, anyway, Vercel's got money behind it. I don't know what's public information and what's not, but let's just say they have money. Um, they, these companies are they're out to make money. So like open source, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like at the end of the day, they're doing, they're making decisions to make money. So whether it's deprioritizing their open source efforts to make a paid product, like you should definitely pay attention to that. That could benefit the, the company, the, the project, or that could hinder it like a lot. So like, definitely keep that in mind so when you make a decision like a between a view which is 100 percent independent and and sort of can all contributor backed um or contribution backed there are companies who contribute financially financially to view um like take that into consideration like if you truly want to like be a part of the community like maybe view is a place to be and maybe contributing to react is not as easy as it looks uh, it also takes a couple other hoops to jump through because it's it's backed by an actual legit company. So I'd say everything's valid. <laughs> Take everything into consideration. I totally agree. Everybody, this has been Brian Douglas. Be Dougie. Tell everybody where they can get in touch with you because I, I feel like this is this is half the conversation. This isn't the whole thing. We gotta. There's gonna be more to it eventually. Yeah, yeah. I would love to, to come back and chat about any other topic. I think we sort of like, we round the bases around a bunch of stuff. We, but, we uh, hit so many things. Like, I, I've i been telling people, like, I have, I have like a short list of people that I would do a consistent show with. And like, no joke, you're on that list because I know that we could talk about so many things from from two very different perspectives because you've, you've got a lot of seniority in the industry. You've been around it. You've seen a lot. Me, I've always been on like the outside looking in and now I'm like inside kind of looking at everything with like jaded eyes, kind of like, 
man, y'all, y'all treating me like crap for five years. I'm about to come in and like disrupt all of this. But I, I totally, I totally think that I can only be better by surrounding myself with people who are wise enough to be like, okay, this is, this is where you want to pull bricks and this is where you want to make sure those bricks don't collapse on you. Yeah, for sure. But the answer your earlier question, I appreciate the, all the, the nice words too as well. I, I would love to have a reg- regular cadence. Actually, we should chat because uh, you know I've got a podcast, you got a podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we do, if we do a thing, uh, I'd love to have this conversation on a regular basis and share insight. Because um, I, I don't think I have a lot of people I can sort of speak openly to, uh, in sort of the sense. And I think you get like sort of coming up and how that works. And like I feel like I've I've come up, and now I'm just looking for other people that are coming up and attaching myself to them. Um, but yeah, to answer your original question, you can find me on Twitter. I'm B Yo on Twitter. Got this new site called BDuggy Live, uh, BDuggy.live. Uh, it's the actual TLD, uh, which I'm going to start. It's it's pretty underwhelming right now, but I'm going to start uh, pushing people to and actually having content there. Um, maybe, hopefully, in a future stream, I will revamp that that thing. Uh, I just made some, speaking of frameworks, I made a bad decision on the framework <laughs> for that one, <laughs> which makes me not want to touch it. So um, anyway, that's besides the fact. Uh, and then there's a newsletter, which is subscribe.bduggy.live on there as well.